Hello, and welcome to the Alchemy of Art podcast with your host, Addie Hirschton. Join us as we share folk tales and true stories about artists and the creative process. Our quote of the day is by Sung San. He said, the whole world is a single flower. Hello everyone, my name is Addie Hirshton. I'm a contemporary impressionist painter, art instructor, author, and public speaker. The purpose of this podcast is to share stories about art and the creative process to inspire you and help you move forward and honestly, in turn, make myself move forward. <laughs> On the show, I interview artists from a wide variety of mediums so that we can learn from each other's processes and philosophy. Today's podcast features an interview with the artist Megan Jefferson and a personal story, Bloom Where You Are Planted. Announcements. My big announcement is that I have a book that is Oh, so, so close to being ready for pre-order sales. It's called The Alchemy of Painting, Developing Your Style and Purpose. And it is a guidebook for beginning and intermediate painters, how to get the ball rolling, how to uh, use the tricks of composition and color mixing and color harmony and there's a lot covered in the book and I'm so excited to be able to share it with everyone and um, Megan Jefferson who we're interviewing today is one of the 10 artists who shared their paintings in the book as well so it's not just my work a lot of other people as well because I wanted to have a nice wide variety to uh, help people see the amazing possibilities that are out there and probably by the time most of you hear this the book will be available for pre-order on my website as and even before that i have a free mini course uh, that is on my website uh, under the products section and if you get that, you will see one of the first chapters in the book, and that's the steps to painting chapter, and it's got a video along with it, and it's a fun little freebie, and if you get that, then you will automatically be signed up to receive a newsletter letting you know that the book is available, so I welcome you all to do that. So I am super excited about that. Um, I also just released two children's books. One is called The Happy Kite, and it's uh, inspired by a, a true story that happened to my daughter and I involving a kite. I wrote and illustrated that. And then there's another children's book that's called Dennis and His American Trunk, and it uh, was authored by Teresa Schoen, and I illustrated it. Uh, let's see. And in... June, I'm going to be hosting a flower painting party at the Hatch in Indianapolis. And in June, I'll also be teaching more classes at the Indianapolis Art Center. Now, without further ado, here is my interview with Megan Jefferson. Megan Jefferson is a painter 
and has been actively creating work ever since receiving her BFA from Miami University in 1998. She's exhibited extensively and regionally and sells her work to designers and individual patrons. Megan's work shifts in theme depending on the series. She loves to create pieces that have a focus on color-based abstraction. Mm. This fascination and innate personal connection to color is present in both her past and present work. She describes the process of her work in this way. I let the process define the artwork and describe my working process as a dance and conversation. I place down some color and as certain areas and shapes evolve, I'll answer those happenings with additive or subtractive methods. This dance continues until each painting feels right. The result is thoughtful, intuitive, spontaneous, and reflective. You can find out more about Megan Jefferson at jeffersonartstudio.com. Welcome, Megan. Thank you so much for having me, Addie. I'm excited to be here. Lovely, lovely. What is the story of how you became an artist? Da, da, da. <laughs> So interestingly, um, when I was in high school, my family moved, and I grew up in a small town near Toledo, Ohio, and then I moved when I was about 16 to a suburb outside of Cleveland, Ohio. And during that time, you know, it's a tough time to move as a teenager. You leave all your friends who are really like your family during that time, and I found art very healing. And so I took all of the art classes that I could and just loved being in art. I would I would leave study hall and go to art class to create. Doing these art classes was peaceful and healing in a time when I needed to really reflect on what was happening in my life. Um, however, throughout my entire life, I always thought that when I grew up, I would be a doctor. And I did well in school, so it was almost as if it was expected that I would go to school and become a doctor because it had always been something that I talked about. During high school, when I was really into those art classes, first of all, I just loved it in a way that I had not found anything else that I loved so much. And secondly, I was good at it. I was winning awards. And so when you have that positive feedback, it, it kind of reinforces the idea that it just feels right. So I went to Miami University as a pre-med major. And I was there with my mom during orientation. And we were sitting in this large lecture hall with all the other science majors. And they were talking about all of these classes I was going to have to work into my schedule. Organic chemistry, chemistry, biology, physics. And all throughout high school, I took those courses and I would fall asleep, literally fall asleep during those classes. I could not stay awake. I could pass the tests. I did fine. I was a good test taker. I did well in the classes, but I didn't love it. And I realized at that moment that I didn't want that to be the direction that I was focused on in college. And I turned to my mom and I said, I don't want to be here. And she looked at me and she said, what do you mean? You don't want to be here. 
I don't think she knew if like in general, if I didn't want to be at Miami or in the room at that moment. But I said, I don't want to be a pre-med major. And so she said, what do you want to be? And I said, I really want to be an art major. And she was like, all right, then let's go. So we got up during the middle of the orientation and we left and we went looking for the art school. And we got to the art school and nobody was around. They had already had their their um, orientation and everyone had left. So we were walking the halls and I found this man and he was like, can I help you? Are you lost? And I said, do you work here? He said, yeah, I'm an advisor. And I said, can I talk to you? I really have to talk to you. I need to change my major. And he said, well, okay, let's go talk. And he said, you know, to get into art school, you need a portfolio and you need um, to be accepted. And and this is something that we've just standardized. And I said, well, I don't have that because I wasn't expecting to be an art major. And the more we talked and the more he listened to my story, he said, you know what, I'll make an exception for you. And he did. And there I was accepted into the art program. So I think that that is the very first time when I recognized from a place of just knowing what I needed to do, and then everything around me fell into place to allow me to walk that path. Mm. Wow. <laughs> I love that story, and it. I feel I've been struggling lately with um, knowing which is the right decision. If I have several different paths in front of me, and you know, I'll make pro-con lists and whatnot, but... I've been reading lots of stories about people who just, you know, there was just some moment they said, nope, that's not what I'm going to do. Boom, we're going the opposite direction. And they went with it. And as you said, it all falls into place. And that's, that's good. Do, do you have any thoughts on when you, you don't see a clear, like, yes, this is my gut is telling me no or yes. Um, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm no, I can relate, and I, I feel like I reflect on this question a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard to be in a place where you don't know, and I always say that to people, and I always think that, that at least when you know the answer is no, or if the answer is yes, an exciting yes, it's so much easier to move forward knowing one or the other. Right. But in that place of not knowing, it's really hard, and to make a decision from that place is never grounded and rooted in, in an authentic feeling of direction. So for me, what that feels like to know I know is being in a practice where I can do something where I feel grounded. Because when I'm grounded enough and reflective enough, then I do feel like I know the right decision to make. And being in a space of not knowing, I feel like is a really emotionally, a time where I feel emotionally unbalanced. Mm-hmm. And in order to make a good decision, I need to let those emotions not control my decision-making process at that time. Sure. And so for me, I try to do things that ground me so that I can get into the space of a feeling for me that is based on knowing. So what does that look like? For me, it's doing things that ground me in my actions, in, in my 
habits. So I paint and I do yoga and I eat well and I listen to my body and try to listen to the things that it needs and I provide self-care. Now that doesn't mean I always am doing those things, but I do feel like when I get out of sync, I'm not grounded and more of those when decisions need to be made, I'm in a space where I don't know what decision to make. So if I'm in the practice of doing things that ground me, the decision making comes very easily because I'm grounded already to make those choices. Okay. Well said. Well said, Megan. (laughs) So what draws you to painting over other mediums? I'm, I'm sure when you went to art school as I did, you know, you had to take some sculpture and you had to take some ceramics and you had to do some woodworking and all these different things. What was it about painting? So I did take a lot of different classes in art school and I had to declare a major and for the first two years I just experimented in different classes. Um, I really also liked jewelry making and so for a while I was thinking maybe I would be a metals major but I realized that I really like to use my hands during my process and I like for there to be an immediate outcome and so the areas that required me to deal more in process were not as rewarding as painting. So in metals, everything is done with tools and you have to touch the metal with tools. And if you try to manipulate it with your hands, first of all, you can't. And second of all, you get cut or you get burned, which happened to me quite a bit. (laughs) And then also in photography, there were so many steps. I really loved photo, but Back when I was in school, you had to develop the photos, develop the film, and go through this process, and and you would get to the end that, uh, you know, that required going through all of these technical processes. With painting, it was so immediate. I could touch it. I could change it. I could feel it. And that is, that is what works well for me in my creative process. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, I feel like during the time when I was needing to make a choice about what my major was going to be, I went through a health crisis and I was in the hospital and I was um, at home for a while, unable to go back to school for a couple weeks. And during that time, I just painted and I painted and I painted and not only was it healing again, like I had experienced in high school. But when I was done, my boyfriend, who's now my husband at the time, said, oh, you really need to be a painting major. And it was just that magical feeling of being grounded and rooted in a decision that made sense to me. And I knew that that was the right one. Okay. Nice. So I love your abstracted landscapes and especially the sky paintings, um, one of which I featured in the Alchemy of Painting book that's about to come out. Do you start with a memory of a space? Do you go to the spot to paint? Um, How do you let go of the concrete images and then let it become abstracted? I've been thinking about this a lot because I'm teaching an abstract painting class, Mm -hmm. but I'm wondering if you have a process of letting go of the reality that you see in front of you or not. So I, I do not paint plain air, which is something that I would like to try more of this coming year. I usually base my paintings off of photographs that I've taken 
when I've been to a specific place. Or I will see other photographs that friends have taken. And specifically, I have a friend living in New Zealand. And she always photographs this harbor that's right outside of her window. And it's just a really pretty, vast, open landscape that I'm drawn to. So I've been painting that a lot. What draws me to the wide open spaces is that there's a lot of area for just color to happen. And I think at, at my very root as an artist, I'm a colorist. And so I just love to play with color. And I love how it transcends um, visual language in that it can make the viewer or suggest to the viewer emotion or... Um, peace or tranquility and a lot of people say that when they look at my work it's so peaceful it's so colorful and they often it's a feeling that they get more so than an admiration of the depiction of a place which is exactly what I want I also in my process I get so lost in the areas that develop that have interesting things happening. So maybe there's a texture happening or a blending of a certain color that's going on that I want to allow to stay. So I don't want the outcome to be held to the point where it has to look like a photograph that I started from because sometimes it starts, maybe it's inspired by the photograph but then ends up in a completely different place or looks completely different maybe with opposite colors or something. So it's more of responding to the painting as it's being made. And I was thinking about this yesterday. It's about control and giving up control. And I think that that's a really important life lesson for me where I'm at right now in my life, where I realize that there's something bigger that I'm not in control of. And that's comforting and disconcerting at the same time. But as I allow the process to unfold and not try to control it too much, and then I can respond to it and control those decisions, it's a dance that makes the painting more interesting and authentic, Mm -hmm. I feel like, Mm -hmm. for me personally. And I'm reminded, too, of how a lot of my best paintings, are, in, which, in my opinion, are the best ones, the ones I look back on and I think, okay, that one, that's what I was going for, that feels really good, that's a solid piece I'm really, really proud of. Those pieces, they didn't take six months to create. They came together really quickly, just in the time allotment. They just fell into place. They, I'm just going, and I'm in the groove, and they, they just fall into place and um and I feel like that's part of what you're saying is like there's just this effortlessness that comes when you're listening and things are right and you're letting go of the control yeah yeah if I could just respond to that for me being in that place which I call flow and I've heard other artists and creatives talk about this energy of flow for me, getting in the place of flow means not thinking too much, not allowing my thinking brain to be too much a part of the control process in creating art. Mm. The more I can not think 
and just let things happen and respond intuitively. There's an energy, the creative energy is more pure and authentic from that place. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it looks forced if I am actively trying to control the work too much in a way that not only I can tell, but then viewers can tell too. Because it's interesting, you know, I do art fairs and I have a wide variety of work there and people will come in to, to view my work and even if they have no artistic training at all, they have no idea, they've not taken art history classes or art classes or been around art a lot, they still are drawn to the same pieces that I am drawn to when I think of my best work. Hmm. Somehow they just realize and know that the work that that is the best, in my opinion, is also the best in their minds, which I find fascinating. Yeah. There's no formal elements that they've been trained with to define or find in the work. It's just a feeling of knowing, and it's like that um, unconscious thread that exists that to me just only can mean that this creative energy thread exists within everything and everyone. And when my thinking mind is out of the way, it can take over and be more part of the conversation in, in the process of painting. And it makes good work. Yeah, yeah. Um, right on. This is exactly what I've been thinking myself a lot. Um, one of my obsessions lately is with this new movement that we're calling intuitive painting, which I noticed the other day, there's not even a Wikipedia article out there for it. But I mean, there should be at this point. Doesn't that surprise you? Um, Maybe I'll I'll get off my butt and make that tomorrow or something. But, um, you know, it's, it's, as you know, I mean, there's lots of art history behind it. You know, there's art therapy movement. There's um, some of what the surrealists would do with their automatic, um, drawings and paintings. Um, Do you have any thoughts about the intuitive painting movement and what's happening and how people are embracing the, I don't have a plan, I just dive into this and let things unfold. I might learn a lot about myself. I might make a masterpiece, I might not, because it's not about the product, it's about the process. Any thoughts on that? So I think I've always painted from an intuitive place and when I first started reading about intuitive painting it was finally like something described what I could relate to so I do feel like intuitive painting is something that I do the movement itself is interesting because it does feel very new or it's newly defined I guess it's a it's more that people are now putting to words this process of intuitive painting that I feel like I'm drawn to as well. I take note of artists who are also experimenting with the process of intuitive painting and everyone's work seems so different. Mm -hmm. And so I guess it's a process that, that just looks different for everyone because as an artist, you're responding to whatever feels right to you in that moment. And there is something that's very freeing about that. And it can be transferred into other life lessons, like not being afraid to have a big white canvas in front of you and not having a plan and being okay with just making marks on it without being tied to an expectation. I mean, those are all things that I think are really good to practice in life as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why workshops that 
that encourage intuitive painting are so popular because not only do people really benefit from the act of art making and and connecting with parts of themselves that they otherwise maybe can't find a language for doing in doing so it makes it gives these classes and these workshops give them permission to explore that and I think that that's really powerful I quite agree I'm teaching an intuitive painting class right now and it's it's intense and it's lovely and okay next question what's the main message you're trying to convey with your artwork if there is one maybe there isn't one yeah I don't think about making art for the purpose of conveying a message actually I like that my art does encourage people to feel a certain way and so I guess the focus of my work would be doing that Um, it does that anyway and that's what people always say so maybe (laughs) I'm just used to hearing that but I do like to create pieces that people can relate to emotionally. Okay. Awesome. What advice would you give to your younger artist self? I would tell my younger artist self to be really, to be nice and to be gentle with myself. Mm. I feel like sometimes the urge to create is so strong and maybe I don't have the time Or, you know, when my kids were really little and needed my attention, I just would set myself up so that everything was perfectly in place for me to paint during nap time. And that was a really important time for me, but sometimes they woke up after 20 minutes. And so I would be left feeling like, oh my gosh, I don't have time to paint. When am I going to have time to paint? And there are just, there's been chapters in my life where there wasn't time to paint. And looking back, that's okay. I would tell myself to be more gentle with myself and not put so much pressure on myself to create during times when other things needed to be my focus instead of my painting. I think this urge to create sometimes rushes me through things so that I have time and energy and everything is set up so that I can give time to my creative self in my studio for two hours. But there's also been chapters where I've needed to not paint so that I can re-energize and refresh and regroup Mm -hmm. and come back to the canvas with a completely different perspective. And it's during those times that my style has always kind of morphed and shifted and changed. And I would also tell myself to remember that the first few pieces that you create once you're getting back into the groove of painting are not going to be good. And that's okay. Hold on to them and just paint over them. Because it happens every time. If I get out of the mode of painting and I need to step back in, it takes me a little while. The wheels are a little rusty until I work some things out. And now that I know that, it feels I have more confidence moving forward and just moving past that. But the first few times when that cycle happened, it was scary because I thought, oh my gosh, I didn't paint for three months and now I'm a horrible artist. No, I'm not. I just had to remember what it feels like to paint pieces that feel right and get back in my groove. Very good. Yeah, I feel like this is something that I tell beginning artists a lot too. Just don't expect, not even when you're getting back in a groove, but if you've never painted before at all, the first few ones, I mean, maybe even the first 
50 are they're going to be practice pieces and the masterpieces will come later and you just got to work through them in order to get to that place where you really I, I almost wanted to say have the control but then we were just talking about letting go of the control but it but so that it just naturally happens and it, it that you're in the flow yeah okay I can't believe we're at our final question ah oh, what is your favorite art book or story Hmm. Well, I think that I really love stories in general. I love telling stories. I love listening to stories. And I like to learn the stories of each individual artist. So I can't say that I have a very specific favorite. But when I know the story of an artist, it makes their artwork all the more impressionable and all the more it resonates with me so much more. And so I really love to learn the story of artists. So I will read a lot about not only, you know, master's works that makes, that there is so much information about why those pieces are important and why that style is so successful, but the, but the story of the artist, each individual artist, I think is, is really interesting. I was a part of Carrie Schmidt's book, Painted Blossoms. And not only was that an amazing experience because we got together at the culmination of the book with all the artists who were included or most of the artists who were included and had a retreat and that was magical. But the the book itself is one that I admire because it focuses on individual artists and their process. So I reference that one a lot just to kind of see how each artist approaches their work. I find it interesting to learn stories like that. I also really love art history books, and I don't like to necessarily spend a lot of time poring over the specifics and reading them, but just gathering visual information from the paintings is something that I do a lot of. And now with Pinterest, it's my favorite place to go for inspiration sure. because it's um, all of these living artists maybe and even some past artists, and you can just find so much visual information and, and inspiration from different paintings that are happening now and in the past. So I reference works of art all the time for inspiration. Yeah, yeah. Lovely. And for those of you who are listening, I did interview Carrie Schmidt um, on a previous episode, and off the top of my head, I don't know what episode number it was, but it was maybe 20 episodes ago or something. So you can always go back and listen to her wonderful, inspiring interview as well. So um, Megan, any final thoughts or anything I didn't ask you that you're either dying to or inspired to say? <laughs> hmm. I can't think of anything specific. Other than um, I encourage everyone who wants to express themselves to just try painting and drawing, any form of art really, but painting specifically because it's so accessible to so many and you don't need a special area or studio you can set up at your kitchen table. I work with um, painters who are fresh and who have never done it all the time. And there's such a joy that comes from just playing around and being playful. 
So I encourage people to just try and, um, and see maybe how, how just picking up a paintbrush can help you express something that is living deep within that you may not even realize is there. Awesome. So eloquently said. Thank you so much, Megan, for coming on the show. And now for our story of the day. I call it Bloom Where You Are Planted. This is a true story that happened to me back when I was in high school. When I was a teenager, I became obsessed with France. It began when I started taking French language classes, and I read French literature, I watched French movies, I ate French food, I read about the bold and yummy Impressionist painters, I tacked French art posters all over the walls of my bedroom, I listened to language tapes over and over, and finally the day came when I was to travel to France to be an exchange student. And when I arrived, I found that there were many wonderful things about France. My host family, for example, owned a seafood restaurant called Fruit de la Mer, the fruit of the sea. And they served me five course meals every evening. It's pretty awesome. Um, it didn't even need butter on my bread because the bread was so good by itself. But there was trouble in paradise as there always is, right? Our group had numerous delays due to train problems, traffic, and uh, even strikes that were happening in the street. And it was very, very gray there. Perhaps because of all the French paintings I had looked at, I had imagined a colorful, almost tropical place. But the sun did not shine his happy face often during the fall when I was there. I also still had all my old aches and pains of being human. <laughs> if I stubbed my toe in France, well, it hurt just as much as it had back home. Toward the end of my stay, I took a day trip down to Paris with a group, and I was feeling very melancholy. Sad that my journey was almost over, and deep down disappointed, disappointed that my French utopia wasn't all it was cracked up to be. I was looking at the ground and darting around the rain puddles. We came to an intersection. I looked up to see where I was going. And across the street, there was a second story apartment window. And hanging from that window was a large banner. In English, the banner read, Bloom where you're planted. And in that moment, I learned so much. I learned how I had been over-idealizing France, thinking it's utopia, it's Shangri-La. Once I get there, I will be happy. Everything will be perfect. Um, but there is no perfect place where once you're there, it, 
you can forget about any any suffering because <laughs> all life is suffering as the buddha says right um and even with painting and with art we can think to ourselves well once we get there once we've made you know a certain number of pieces and we really really have it down then everything will be perfect everything will fall into place and the thing I think about a lot is how it does. It does fall into place, just as Megan Jefferson and I were talking about. Um, it might fall into place with that one piece because you're letting go of the outcome, because you are um, allowing yourself to let go of the control and just... let it happen, to allow yourself to bloom and to flourish and feel that life force just boom, push up out of the earth. That can't happen unless you can let go of the control and you can let go of, of having an ideal that is rigid or is too far out of reach or is um, not based in reality. I shared this story with uh, one of my students a while back and she was really moved by it and she said, Addie, you know, I've I've been a traveler all my life and hearing this story made me realize that I was always searching for something outside of myself, thinking that that thing was gonna, that, that was gonna make me happy was just around the bend. But if we can allow ourselves to enjoy the moment and the process as it's happening, where we are in this moment right now, just as Megan Jefferson was saying with her the pieces that she intuitively created, there's not this big goal in mind where we're going to make a masterpiece. No, we're just in process. We're just blooming right here, right now. That's where it's at. And then ironically, that's where it really... <laughs> that's Once you can let go of our uh, great expectations then you can reach utopia. <laughs> um, I hope that that story is helpful to you. Um, it's something that I think about a lot. I've made a lot of paintings inspired by that banner that I saw and the lessons that I've learned from it. And um, that story is included in my book, The Alchemy of Art Stories for the Classroom. This concludes our podcast, The Alchemy of Art, for today. May these stories inspire you. May you find your voice. You have been listening to the Alchemy of Art podcast. 
To find out more about Addie Hirshton and her work, go to azirfineart.com. That's A-Z-H-I-R-F-I-N-E-A-R-T dot com.